We all have our journeys, some long, some short, some harrowing and some easy. What kinds of songs does God think we need for our journeys? For hope, for trouble, or for joy? Join us as we learn to sing God's songs from the Psalms. So I'm reading a book right now on what's called the Hinkley Fire. Hinkley, Minnesota uh, had a, fi- a wildfire raged through it. It also hit other towns as well um, in 1894. It's the same year as the Chicago Fire, and it was the same conditions, very, very hot, dry conditions that year, combined with several other elements, created what some people consider the perfect fire. Not perfect in the sense of good, but basically as, as bad as it could be. Like all the conditions were perfect to make it as bad as it could be. It was so big that it could melt steel at 1600 degrees. It, um, it created tornadoes of fire that shot out logs um, from that tornado that created more fires around it. it. It would suck in air trying to basically feed itself, creating hurricane force winds around it. And at one moment in the fire, uh, at the last moment, a train was able to get out of town, filled with people covered in ash, coughing, choking, burned. The train had been burned, pulls into another town. The people scream for the residents of that town to get on the train. Let's get out of here. There is a fire coming. And hardly anybody got on the train. All the evidence is that there's something really bad coming. This train is on fire. These people are choked um, and they have been burned. But the people, for whatever reason, just decided to keep going uh, about their lives, doing their normal things. And the fire came and just wiped that town off the map as well. And the author was talking about why is that? And he explained an idea that psychologists use that we often live with a script about how the world works and our place in it. And then we decide to live that script out no matter like what happens. And even if the evidence goes contrary to it, well, we like this is my place and this is my property and I take care of it and we've had fires before, so it can't be that bad. And so in spite of the evidence, the people just go about their lives living out the story and the script that they normally live with. I was reminded of that. And thinking of that this week, because I, I kind of wonder about the stories that we live with, the stories that we tell ourselves, this is my place in the world. This is where I belong. This is what's happening. And I was thinking of one of the stories that we often live with in lots of areas of our life is the, is the idea that Satan tells us that God doesn't want me to be happy and I need to try and find happiness. And so I should go and look in all of these places. Sometimes we look in possessions. Well, if I could just fix my house up a little bit better, if I could just make a little bit more money, if my car was a different car, if I wore different clothes, if I had more in my retirement account, then I would be happy. Or if I just had the respect of my coworkers or of my, my spouse, if I just had the respect of somebody else, if people looked up to me, then uh, then I would be happy. If people thought better of me, then I would be happy. 
or if I had more control of my life, if I, if I just got this stuff under control, then I would be happy. This is the terrible lie of Satan to us that says you can be happy, but God doesn't want it. And so you should leave him and go do something else. Today, we're going to be looking at a psalm that, that hits that lie head on. It hits that lie from Satan head on and talks about for us where true happiness is found and what God wants us to do with that truth. So go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 128. Psalm 128 says, A song of ascents. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would open our eyes to hear from you in your word here. Help us to know and seek out the true source of happiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 128 is one of the songs of ascent. And I, it may have been a little bit since we talked about like how, song, how psalms work, how poetry in the Bible works. You see, in English, in poetry, we, it's often organized around rhyme, so usually at the end of, the, of a line, or about some kind of a cadence. But Hebrew poetry is not like that. Hebrew poetry is more built around ideas. It'll be like state something and then it'll like expand on it or it will change it a little bit or it'll illustrate it a little bit. And so Hebrew poetry, I would say, is more like an like using images to expand an idea, to make it bigger and to make it clearer in our minds. You see, we could take a truth and give a dictionary de definition or an encyclopedia definition. But that's not what God does here. What God does here is he writes a poem, expanding on this idea bigger and bigger, helping us to use images to understand it rather than definitions so that we can begin to get an idea of what is real happiness. You see, that's that first word there. Blessed are all who fear the Lord. Sometimes it means God declares good or, ha or blessedness, perfection. God declares good over somebody. Or it can mean how happy is. Man, this per and this, this passage kind of has both of those ideas. That God declares this over a person, but also like this is where real happiness is found. There, there in that first line, he uses, they, the author uses that expansion idea to help us get an idea of what does it mean to be happy. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Your translation may say, who walk in God's footsteps. So here's the idea. Blessed is the person who fears the Lord. Fearing the Lord is this idea of having a proper regard for the Lord, thinking about the Lord rightly and relating to him because of that. Not just, oh, this is who God is, but this is who God is and who I am, and so I'm going to relate to him. But he expands on that idea, illustrating it. Not with a definition, but like this image, who walk in his footsteps, who walk in his ways, giving us this picture, happiness that we should be searching desperately for is not found in the terrible eye of Satan that God doesn't want you to be happy. It's actually found in God. So walk closely right behind him. Walk in his ways, find his footsteps and put your feet right there. That's where happiness is found. That's the idea of this, this poem. 
His happiness is found in God's footsteps. And so I'm, I'm reminded actually of our youngest son, Oscar. He's two and our neighbors all call him my buddy because they know that if they find me outside doing something on our house or in our garden or just hanging out outside, Oscar's going to be right behind me. No matter where I go or what I do, I've been working from home a good deal more here during COVID-19 and Oscar follows wherever I'm at. I actually have to be careful because he might pick up, oh, dad's punching a hole in the wall. Let me punch a hole in the wall. Oh, dad is doing this with the electrical outlet. Let me do this with the electrical outlet. But so, but wherever I find myself, Oscar does it. Whatever I do, Oscar is going to copy it later. That's the idea here. Happiness is found in following in God's footsteps, doing the things that he does. You see, we can so easily read this and go, oh, happiness is found in following God's rules. No, the image is happiness is found in his footsteps, close behind him, relating to him, copying him. And so the call to us is to say, I will not be happy outside of your footsteps, God. Help me walk closely in them. The, the, the call in this is to begin to tell ourselves, I'm not going to be happy outside of God's footsteps. It doesn't matter what Satan tells me. It doesn't matter what is out there sounds good. It is not going to make me happy like following in his footsteps is going to be. That, the, the application of this is to begin to go, how do we counsel and encourage one another? Encourage our spouse, encourage a friend, encourage our kids. Happiness is found in God's footsteps. Man, this is hard. This is hard right now. There's so much that's uncertain, but happiness is found in God's footsteps. And what I want to show you here in this, in this psalm is two areas to search for happiness, according to the, this psalm. Two areas to search for happiness. Verses 2 to 4 tell us to search for happy happiness that's both personal and present. Search for happiness that's both personal and present. Verses 2 to 4. Use images to tell us something. We, we misread it when we begin to go, oh, this is the definition. Oh, this is, this is the promise. It's using images to help us understand these ideas. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. That's giving us this idea of supply and provision there in that first line. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Man, you want to eat? You're going to eat. When you follow in God's footsteps, giving us this idea that God's footsteps are where supply and provision are found. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Peace and prosperity. The world working in your life the way that it should comes when we follow closely and walk in God's footsteps. Then he turns and says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Pointing us, fertility and attractiveness will be yours. You see, we live in a world that says, oh, here is where attractiveness, here is where sensual pleasure is, here is where the good life is. And this passage uses this idea of a fruitful vine in your house, producing and beautiful, and says that's found in God's footsteps, fertility and attractiveness. You know, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. Saying, growing in legacy, children that follow after you, growth and production come as we follow in God's footsteps. And so each of these are personal and present areas that we find happiness. This passage doesn't say, no, you shouldn't want supply and provision. You shouldn't want prosperity. You shouldn't want peace. You shouldn't want sensual pleasure. You shouldn't want a legacy and growth. 
No, instead it says these things are found walking in God's footsteps. And so we have to connect these kinds of happiness with God's footsteps. This is the challenge for us. We should continue to search desperately for these things and find them in God's footsteps. Because Satan says, supply and provision, God won't, God's forgotten you. He's not going to provide for you. You want peace and prosperity? God doesn't care about you. Don't you know that, that uh, people are starving? God doesn't want you to find sensual pleasure. Don't, don't worry about that. Or don't worry about God. Go and find it somewhere else. Don't, don't, God doesn't want you to have a legacy. Go find that somewhere else. We have to connect these things to God's footsteps. Personal and pleasant, present happiness. And why do we search for these things in God's footsteps? This is what I think is the, the really cool thing, is that each of these things, each of these things is connected to the very character of God. We are called to find supply and provision, happiness and supply and provision by following God's footsteps because he is the one who in the Old Testament is called Yahweh Yira, the God who provides. So that's why we search for, we search for supply and provision in his footsteps because that's who he is. We are called to search for peace and prosperity by following in his footsteps because Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Of course we would follow in his footsteps to find it. We are called to search for fertility and attractiveness, for sensual pleasure, for growth in the God who is a creator, who for, the, for his own joy created everything and for his own joy created everything. We are called to search for a legacy, happiness in a legacy in the God who is called Everlasting Father. These things are intimately connected with his footsteps because that's who he is. And so where are you tempted to seek happiness right now? Seek it in God. That's the call in this. Where are you tempted to say, this is what I need to be happy? God's got that. God is the one who has that. Follow in his footsteps. Go to him. The second area for us to search for happiness in this is to search for happiness that's both public and future. Search for happiness that's both public and future. This is, I think, the, uh, the dimension that we often ignore because verses 5 and 6 say, May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. This, you see, the, the first element is kind of personal and present happiness. This is more of a global dimension. This is more a society or in a, a culture. So often in our world, we just live, I just look out for me, you look out for you. All of us are just functioning individuals in a similar space, but there's no nothing tying us or connecting us to each other. That's not the understanding that's here, is that we're actually seeking and longing for society's blessing. In this, may the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Some of these yous are actually you alls, like you plural. Like this is the society that we're talking about here. And but he keeps repeating Zion, Jerusalem, and Israel. This sent, Zion is another word for the land of Israel, the promised land. That this is these are the terms that he's using because. And the understanding in the Old Testament is that Jerusalem, and specifically the temple, is the meeting place of God and man. It is where heaven and earth collide. 
So we can just go, oh, it was the promised land. They wanted to have land. They wanted to have a country. No, the point was they wanted and needed to see God, to relate to God, to go to that heaven and earth meeting place, as N.T. Wright puts it, to see and to relate to God. That's why the promised land was so important. That's why Zion and Jerusalem were so incredibly important, because this is where God and men meet. And that's where our happiness is found. And so the society is built and ordered around this. And there's this longing for the the blessing from Zion, the prosperity of Jerusalem, peace being on Israel, because for the world to be made right, it's going to have to be as God and man meet in his footsteps. This is that dimension that we so often ignore. We stop thinking about God, we want to see your kingdom come in our town and in our communities and in our state and in our country and in our world. And we just begin to go, God, I have a devotional life. Can you make me be a little bit more moral and a little bit more happy? Our heights are, our, uh, our eyes are supposed to be set higher. So we want the kingdom of God to come in the world. We want injustice around the world to be ended. We want peace and prosperity around the world. We want more of it, not less of it. I'm reminded of one of my heroes, William Wilberforce, lived in the 1700s and 1800s. And uh, he was a political leader, but when he became a Christian as a young man, the aim of his life uh, became to see his, his country, to see the world reconciled to God through Jesus. And then to see that expressed in society. He wanted people to come to know Jesus, and then he wanted to see society formed and reformed by that. And so he began to work to see the end of the slave trade because he believed people needed to meet Jesus. And one of the applications of that is that society does not enslave people based on their race. He believed that when people meet Jesus and a society gets reformed, then they no longer put children to work in factories and mines. He believed that when when people meet Jesus and society society is reformed, there is a different relation between people and their animals, and they no longer use and abuse them in the same way. And so he helped found the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. William Wilberforce put those two elements together. Happiness, public and future, is only found in following in God's footsteps. And And so we have to begin to have bigger eyes and bigger imaginations and begin to say, God, we want blessing on our society and on our world. And we're not going to settle for less. We're not going to settle for an individualistic religion, an individualistic happiness. We want global happiness. We want the nations to be glad. And so are we going to settle for less happiness globally and just say, oh, it's fine, whatever? No, our motivation to support international workers who are taking the gospel into other countries is because we want happiness around the world. And so do we pray for that? Do we expect it? Do we say, I'm not just having devotions on my own. I am actually working in my life and in my community and in my family and in my job and in our church to see the kingdom of God and blessing come around the world. So this passage calls us to search desperately for God's happiness. Search for it personally and search for it publicly. And so... 
But if you're like me, you read this and you go, but there's so many ways that I fall short. So many ways that I search desperately for happiness, but it's not in God's footsteps. Where is the good news in this for me? The good news for you and for me is that Jesus came and lived the life that we should live. Jesus is the one who walked perfectly in his father's footsteps for his entire life. And yet he died on a cross when he should have expected supply and provision, instead died saying, I am thirsty. Jesus is the one who lived as we should have lived, deserving peace and prosperity and died at the hands of wicked men, suffocating to death on a cross while they gambled for the only thing that he owned, his clothes, so that you and I get the prosperity and blessing that he deserves. Jesus, the one through whom God made the world, died in your place and in my place. The Bible says that he was unattractive. There was nothing that, that, that attracted us to him so that we can know that God's blessing for us is not based on what we've done, but what on what Jesus has done and the punishment he took in our place. We can know that we have a legacy because Jesus, who lived the perfect life, died in our died the death that we should die and was raised to new life and said, I go and prepare a place for you. So you and I have a legacy because of Jesus, not because of ourselves. You may be listening and you go, Joe, how can I know that this is for me? I want this kind of legacy. I want this kind of record. I want that kind of identity and future. That can be yours because the Bible tells us that God made the world and he made it good and he put Adam and Eve in it. And he said, you will live as little kings under me. You will shepherd and rule this world under me. And here's one rule. And Adam and Eve and everybody after them said, no, we will not live your way. We are not going to follow your rules. We are not going to live underneath you. We will set up our own kingdoms and seek our own happiness somewhere else. The story of the Bible is that God promised that he would one day crush his enemies, sending them into fire called hell. But instead of leaving us with that judgment, Jesus came and lived the life that we should live, died the death that we should die, and was raised to new life so that all who turn away from sin and trust in Jesus alone to save them can know the promise of God, having his record and his identity and having his power. So then we have a future. We can know present happiness and we can know future happiness. We can know present and personal happiness and we can look forward to the promise of public and future happiness around the world. I find it so interesting that this passage says, search desperately for happiness in God's footsteps. And then we we'll be fine when Jesus comes, he says, follow me. That's the call. Come and be happy. Follow me. And then we must begin to have the kind of an imagination that says, okay, my life is going to be different because I am now seeking happiness in a new place. Imagine with me what that looks like for you to begin to live a kind of life that says, my happiness comes from following in the footsteps of the God who is supremely happy and invites me into it. Then, then we are no longer enslaved to this lie that says, I can only be happy if I get this, if people think this, if I do this. That's a, that sounds like freedom. That sounds like real happiness. Imagine what begins to happen in a family when, when the, the family is now oriented around how do we get things from each other to be happy? 
But instead, we are following closely in God's footsteps because we know there is happiness there. Imagine what begins to happen in a community when there is a church of people whose happiness is not set on what they can acquire or what people think or what they can feel, but it's instead their happiness is wrapped up in the supremely happy God who calls and says, follow me. That's world-changing kind of a difference. Let's pray. God, we ask that you help us get this idea in our heads and in our hearts that you call us to happiness in your footsteps. In Jesus' name, amen.